Input. Output. Hi, this is Input Output, and I'm your host, Mark Yarm. Today on the Input Output podcast, we've got stories about Apple's new 5G phones and an amazing digital cookbook collection. very excited about 5G on iPhone, and we are going to introduce 5G across our entire lineup of new iPhone models today. Introducing iPhone 12. Apple is releasing four new iPhone 12 models, the 12 mini, the 12, the 12 Pro, and the 12 Pro Max. But which should you choose? And do you even need a new iPhone at all? InputMag.com Senior Reviews Editor Ray Wong wrote about the new family of iPhones and what you can expect from each of the new models. Here he is reading an excerpt from his piece. For the first time, iPhones will be 5G compatible. Apple has partnered with Verizon to bring quote-unquote ultra-wideband technology to its entire lineup of iPhone 12. In peak conditions, the ultra-wideband delivers 4 gigabytes per second, according to Verizon. Don't expect that speed in most cases, though. Welcome back to the show, Ray. Always good to be back. So in your story on the iPhone 12 family, you say it's out of control in a good way. There's so many choices here. You have the... So many. Yeah, the iPhone 12 mini, the 12, the 12 Pro, and the 12 Pro Max. So what are the major differences between these four phones? They're all really similar. The major differences are screen size at the smallest end, you've got the iPhone 12 mini that has a 5.4 inch display. Then you've got the iPhone 12, which has a 6.1 inch display. And then you have the iPhone 12 Pro that also has a 6.1 inch display. And then you've got the biggest iPhone ever that has a 6.7 inch display. So display size is the most noticeable difference. And then you really got cameras and battery life. So it remains to be seen, you know, which one gets the best battery life, but logic suggests the biggest iPhone has the biggest battery, the most room for a bigger battery, so that will probably get the best battery life, and then cameras. So the two lower end iPhones, you got the 12 mini and then the 12, they have two cameras, they have a main camera and then they also have an ultra wide camera. And then you've got the 12 Pro and 12 Pro Max, and both of these phones come with triple camera systems with a LiDAR sensor. So they take better low light photography, have better zoom range, and also night mode in portrait mode. And I guess if you really, really want a fourth differentiator, materials. You know, they're all glass and metal sandwiches, but the 12 mini and 12 are made out of aluminum, and the 12 Pro and 12 Pro Max are made out of stainless steel. You haven't gotten to play around with these phones yet, but just looking at them and their specs and what you know about them, how do they compare to the iPhone 11s? Well. As always, there's a faster chip inside. This time, all the 12s come with the A14 Bionic chip. Apple's claiming 50% faster CPU, 50% a faster GPU. So you're getting a lot more performance, and that's going to translate when it comes to, you know, video editing, gaming, and just overall snappiness. A lot of the stuff that Apple is introducing on the iPhone 12 lineup, the new camera capabilities the Dolby Vision recording, that stuff is going to be taking advantage of the faster chip. And, you know, the cameras themselves, especially the 12 Pro and 12 Pro Max, they have that extra LiDAR sensor, so it's going to be really improved for 
augmented reality applications, as well as night and low light photography. So really cameras and the processing power. And the third one is 5G. So 5G right now is not quite built out in the US at least. And so you're gonna get very limited use out of 5G, especially the faster ultra wideband or millimeter wave 5G technology. Carriers are lighting up the cell towers for 5G in more cities this year and next year and the year after. So it's not quite a you know mature technology yet, but Apple's going to sell a ton of new iPhones and that's going to force carriers to really accelerate the rollout of 5G. So definitely would not recommend buying a new iPhone for 5G alone, but if you want a better camera, you want better performance and maybe even a bigger screen because the 12 and the 12 Pro have 6.1 inch displays versus the previous 11 Pro, which only had a 5.8 inch display, then that's the way to go. You can follow Ray on Twitter at Ray Wangi. Now on to today's second story. I am interested in how peculiar people are and how clever. And when you look at a cookbook and you see all those little tiny pieces of information, all the measurements and materials and ingredients and actions, you can't really make sense of them until you create new categories so that you can compare recipes that are from one place with recipes that are from another. For the past 50 years, writer and food historian Barbara Ketchum Wheaton has been compiling information from historical cookbooks from around the globe. That research is now available in the form of a beautiful old school style database called The Sifter. InputMag.com news writer Maureen Kasana wrote about the site. Here she is reading an excerpt from her piece. Barbara Ketchum Wheaton calls her library a cross between a Swiss army knife and a piano. At first it sounds confusing, but she explains that much like a Swiss army knife, the sifter has the ability to provide multiple uses. Cooking measurements, how dishes became popular, ingredients, cooking techniques, what foods certain societies ate until it became taboo, hint, peacock, where certain food terms appeared, and much more. Like a piano that creates notes when you strike a key, keys in the sifter yield a dizzying number of search results. Welcome back to the show, Maureen. Very nice to be here. Thank you. So can you explain more how this site works? I understand that it's based on the Wikipedia model. It, it is a kind of domestic Wikipedia, if you will. Barbara ketchum Waden, for the past 50 years, has been meticulously compiling information through historical cookbooks from Europe, North America, and beyond. And it's a lot. There's like ingredients, illustrations, backgrounds. Sometimes it's very literary and lyrical. And it's just talking about people's food and drink. It's gorgeous. That labor is now available for the whole world to see in the form of this old school database called The Sifter. Basically, it's a database of over 5,000 historical cookbooks from Harvard's library. And it, in cold numbers, if we're talking about it, has a whopping 130,000 individual items. So I love it. I'm crazy about it. What is it that you love most about it? It combines two of my main interests in life, domestic housekeeping and data science. It's just absolutely gorgeous. It will make anyone who enjoys cooking, 
and cleaning, very happy because this woman put so much labor into it. She took the help of her children. We're talking about data collection done by hand. We're very lucky in the sense that today's data collection methods are very digital, right? It's easy. You can put a term in the search panel and that's it, right? Wayden was taking notes on paper. She was hunting down information through actual physical books and she needed the help of her children. So it's just this labor of love and you can see it in this clunky database. It's just, it's, it makes me very happy. I think you can even hear me smiling because it really does make me happy. And what's some of the coolest stuff you found on the sifter? It's so interesting. I did not know that people ate peacocks once. Did you know that? <laughs> they ate peacocks. Um, <laughs> Vaguely, I, I knew that, yeah. I had no idea. Because to me, this bird is gorgeous. And I was like, why would you eat that? But apparently some societies in England did. So one of the things that I looked up was I was like, okay, let's think of a very painfully simple, banal word, right? Like pie. And I put it in, in the database and all of a sudden I'm in 1790, all right? 1790. And I'm reading a book called Housekeeper's Valuable Present by a man called Robert Abbott. And it just talks about different kinds of pies and this man at that time. Can you just imagine trying to orient yourself in that context? A man in 1790 writing about pies. So it really, it's kind of like a a time traveling device of sorts. It's just, it's really lovely. I, I love going through it, putting a random word. I'm from Northern Pakistan, right? So when I, I want to see the cultural relevancy of the word pomegranate because we eat those a lot. All of a sudden I see these old 1600 terms of about, you know, the fruit, its cultural connotations, how people have used them in pies and tart and everything. It's a beautiful way of looking at the world and how we relate to some of the most fundamental and necessary forms of sustenance food and drink. It's lovely. You can follow Maureen on Twitter at Maureen Kasana, and I am at Mark Yarm. For more news from the world of technology and culture, visit InputMag.com. You can click on the links in the show notes for the stories we discussed today. New episodes of Input Output are released three times a week. If you enjoyed what you heard, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. You can find Input Output on your smart speaker or whichever podcast app you use. Thanks for listening.